3: Hello, beautiful people. Welcome, welcome to today's Holy Human Podcast. I am so excited for you to meet today's guest. Dr. Ethan Cross is an award-winning psychologist and one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind. He's also the author of a book that I have found both fascinating, truly, truly fascinating, and very useful, Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It. Today, Dr. Cross is here to explain the incredible hidden power of our inner voice and show us how we can harness it to live healthier, more satisfying, and more productive lives. All on this episode of Holy Human. Dr. Ethan Cross, thank you so much for joining us here on the Holy Human Podcast. So
4: it's, uh, it's a delight to be here chatting with you about this. So
3: Yeah, chatting. I love that. No pun intended. I have literally recommended your book and I'm I'm yet to finish it because it is a, a thick book, but I'm I'm so obsessed. I read like a hundred pages this morning because I I I find that this is a topic that is very close to my heart. <laughs> I feel like it's something that I have. I'm very aware of chatter in my mind and how it can take on different forms and and control all of our lives. And so that's what we're diving into today with you is everything chatter and inner voice. And I would love to just start at what when you talk about inner voice, what is that exactly? What do you mean by that?,
4: so, so I think of the inner voice um, as this amazing tool that that we all have. It's our ability to silently use language to do lots of different things. So it's like a Swiss army knife of the mind. So if I asked you to like repeat a phone number in your head, you'd, you'd use right. language to do that, right? So it helps us remember things, but we can also use our inner voice to, to plan or simulate things. So I do it when, when, I'm, when I have to give a big presentation, I'll often rehearse what I'm going to say in my head, and then I'll hear what people in the audience are going to say. Mm -hmm. And I'll often like think of what the nasty audience member is going to say. And then I'll say something back. (laughs) And usually I'll say something back in my head that I wouldn't say in daily life. But um, so so that's like a powerful tool. We also Mm -hmm. use our inner voice to make sense of our experiences. Like things happen all the time to us. And we're trying to weave those experiences together to give us a sense of who we are. And our inner voice helps us do that too. I would imagine that in in your line of work, you're you're also constantly engaging this inner voice when you're, you're hearing sounds and melodic progressions. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but does it does it factor into your everyday experience as well?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, gosh, I could go so many ways with this. I feel like my inner voice turns on like the moment I get up, and it can. It can go kind of down one way or the other, whether it be a negative path or a somewhat of a positive path. It just depends on on the day. and when I'm performing, I definitely engage it. you know, I, I feel like sometimes that's what the performance piece for me is actually the one place where I can lose it, where I can go beyond it, which is to me what feels so for someone who has constant chatter in their mind, it's actually really blissful to perform. I mean, obviously I'm still using it because there's, I mean, I'm engaging when I'm singing words and in that way. But when I get lost in my art, there is a, there's a place beyond the chatter for me that is, like I said, blissful. And at the same time, I can actually have full on conversations in my head on stage about like what I'm going to eat for breakfast tomorrow and who I'm pissed off at. And so it's, it's interesting how that I can have, I can be doing something and still have this whole other experience and internal dialogue going on.
4: Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of like when, when I'm at the dinner table and like my daughters are telling me about their day and if my mind's somewhere else, Mm -hmm. they finish talking and I don't necessarily hear what they've said, you know, that it, it, it has happened where they like tell me about a whole experience. And then when they're done, I'm like, Oh, so what happened today? And like, I just told you that dad. And so (laughs) that's an example of how, you know, really our thoughts and which are often verbal in nature, um, you know, they, they determine where we are, like what we're feeling, what we're attending to even. And so they can like cloud out our experiences, but, Mm -hmm. but, you know, back to the inner voice. So, so it can do a lot of things for us that I think are really, really useful, but it can also get us into trouble. And, right. and chatter is is what I the term I use to describe what happens when our inner voice gets us into trouble. So so we've got this amazing ability, uniquely human, our ability to use words to silently talk to ourselves, solve problems, create, innovate. But then when we experience problems in our life, we 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 go inside, we try to figure out why we're feeling this way we are, and then we get stuck. We mm-hmm. start spinning, we get worried, anxiety, rumination, we catastrophize, think of the worst case scenarios. And we get stuck in those negative thought loops that I think many of us have probably experienced from time to time that make make life not so much fun, <laughs> you know, yes. that that make it difficult to be in that blissful state you were describing earlier that can interfere mm-hmm. with our health and our relationships. And so, so chatter is, is what captures those, the negative side of the inner voice. And, and, you know, my, my approach to this is if the inner voice is really helpful in some cases, which I think it is, I don't think we want to stop talking to ourselves. I don't think we want to silence our inner voice. We want to mm-hmm. figure out how to use it more effectively. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a lot of time in my lab trying to figure out how to do that. And, and I talk about that in the book.
3: Yeah. Does so? Does everyone have an inner voice? I've actually read that people, some people, don't experience an inner dialogue. And how does one develop that inner voice? And do people that don't have an inner voice actually have a calmer world?
4: <laughs> well, okay. Lot lots of good questions here. So <laughs> let me check how much time do you. Have?
3: Yes, I know. I can talk to you about this all day long.
4: <laughs> no, I'm game. This is this is what I live and breathe. So it's all good. So do some people not have an inner voice? So I think about the inner voice as like the swiss army knife of the mind it does mm-hmm. lots of different things and i think if you have the ability to speak out loud then you've got the capacity for an inner voice so mm-hmm. most people can use language with properly functioning brains mm-hmm. can use language to rehearse information so if i give you like like that the challenge i gave you before just here's a here are four numbers repeat them in your head That is a basic feature of the human mind that we can use language to do that. And I think everyone has that. Now, when you go to other other functions that the inner voice provides, like having an ongoing conversation with ourselves, there I think there's a lot more variability. Some people report never doing that. And, you know, there may be a minority of people like that who don't have that inner running commentary. Other people do it a fair amount, others a lot more. In my experiences, the majority of people that I've spoken to have certainly had experiences with, with chatter. And Mm -hmm. so I think it is a pretty common, common experience that, that people have.
3: Do you find that certain types of people are more prone to negative or, and, or positive self-talk?
4: Well, so there there are differences. Um, we do know that women are more likely to get stuck in chatter than men, mm. but the tools that exist for managing chatter work equally well for men and women. Now, this is not to say, by the way, that women just have it worse than men across the board. <laughs> men do plenty of things in <laughs> in psychological terms, worse than women um, uh, engage in certain kinds of other harmful behaviors. So so it all balances out. Right. but we do know that there is that gender difference in terms of of the experience of chatter but the tools work equally well and i think that's really good news.
3: Yeah, absolutely. This you say that one of the, my favorite things that you say is the inner conversation is is the most important conversation we have all day. Can you dive into a little bit of why that is?
4: Yeah, we're spending a lot of time, i think most of us lost in thought. You know, we we often hear about the importance of living in the moment and being in the moment and 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 i am all for being in the moment at the appropriate time. But our brains evolved to not be in the moment we spend between a half and a third of our waking hours flowing into the past and transporting ourselves into the future. And we spend a lot of that time talking to ourselves about past experiences, trying to figure out, well, why did I screw this up? Or, or savoring like a past event. My daughter, my youngest daughter, had her birthday, you know, two weeks ago. I'm thinking about that experience, replaying conversations we had, or I'm imagining what I'm going to say, you know, during this podcast or something else. Mm -hmm. So we're spending a whole lot of time in our heads and a lot of that time talking to ourselves. And so I think what we say is really quite important. Um, We know those conversations can impact like how we feel, our relationships, mm. our ability to focus and perform at work. So I think they really are a truly important set of conversations we have.
3: Yeah. Um, when we get stuck in that rumination or that negative uh, place, what effects does it have on our bodies? Like physically?
4: Do you, do you really want to know?
3: Yeah, I would.
4: <laughs> I, I, I say this because, you know, um, this is disconcerting stuff. And um, and so let me preface it by saying, I'll talk a little bit about the negatives, but there's a, there's a light yes. at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So, you know, we often hear that stress kills. Stress is bad for you. In fact, that's not correct. Stress, like the ability to experience stress is really adaptive. When there's something threatening in front of us, having this system to... React super fast mm-hmm. is useful. When stress gets harmful in a, in a physical sense is when we have a stress response, it goes up, it's activated, and then it remains chronically elevated over time. That's when the stress begins to eat away at our body in ways that predict things like cardiovascular disease and certain forms of cancer and inflammation. Now, this inner voice that we have is really, really good at maintaining our stress responses because <laughs> yes. what happens is something happens in the world. Someone tells me I'm a, a bad professor or they don't like an experiment whatever. And it happens, but then what do we do? We replay it again
2: mm-hmm. and again
4: and again and again in our heads. And when we do, we're essentially conjuring up and reactivating that threat response, mm-hmm. that that stress response, and we're keeping it active over time. So that's one of the ways that stress can get under the skin to really impact our health in in really powerful ways that um i think we want to try to avoid
3: yeah absolutely um well and you know you talk about uh something we hear a lot about is going inward and turning inward and I found it so interesting how you talk about how introspection can actually backfire on some people.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, and and I found this interesting too, because, because actually the the way I got interested in this whole line of work wasn't, wasn't really, I think the typical path that most Mm -hmm. people get into psychology and neuroscience. Um, So my interest started with my dad when I was a little kid and every time something bad would happen to me, not that I got into huge amounts of trouble, but you know, I right. didn't get a cookie, an extra cookie for dessert or I got into to fight my mom. You know, he'd tell me to like go inside to introspect and try to mm-hmm. figure out a solution to move on with my life. And that advice really served me well throughout my childhood and adolescence. And then I got to college and I took a psychology class and I realized that a lot of people do exactly what my dad told me to do when they get upset, but it doesn't make them feel better. They end up feeling worse instead, mm-hmm. they get stuck ruminating over and over and over about things or worrying excessively and so for me the big question became okay well why does that happen why is this really useful ability to tap inside ourselves and try to use our mind to come up with a solution why does it often fail us and we've learned a little bit about about the answer to that question over the years Um, we've learned that when when people are really upset and they introspect, they tend to over-focus on the problem. They zoom in so narrowly mm-hmm. that the only thing they can think about is what happened to them and how they felt. And that makes it really challenging for them to think about the bigger picture, mm-hmm. other ways of maybe making sense of the experience that might lead them to feel better. And so one of the, the pieces of advice we give people is to try to zoom out. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're feeling chat, when you're experiencing chatter. And there are lots of ways you can do that.
3: Yeah. You know, you talk a lot about our environment and how it affects this chatter in our mind. And I feel like, you know, something I've been experiencing, I think a lot of people are experiencing have, as we sit at home, as our lives have changed. You know, I've been, I've been on the road my whole life, basically, since I was 13. And all of a sudden now, being at home in one place, which is something that's never happened to me, I've found that, you know, this, the chatter can get really loud. And I think a lot of people probably are experiencing that in this moment. And can you talk about how the, those shifts in our environment can can affect the way that we we talk to ourselves? Because I know that that shift in my environment has definitely been challenging
4: Yeah, well, you know, you're not alone. Um, We've seen uh, a threefold increase in clinical levels of anxiety and depression uh, in Mm -hmm. the population over the past year, which is quite significant. We have a lot of time that we're now spending alone with ourselves and our thoughts. And we're living through a really stressful time, like arguably, I mean, I think this is like the chatter event of the century, if you think about it, like a -a once-in-a-century pandemic, really (laughs) scary. Economic instability, politics were a mess up until recently.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: People are fighting with each other. Like, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and a mm-hmm. lack of control. Mm-hmm. And we know that those are two ingredients that fuel chatter when we don't have control over things. And so, so the first thing I would say is, if you're feeling chatter, you're not alone. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people are are feeling chatter, and that makes total sense. And so then the question is, well. Well, what can you do about it to manage it effectively? And, you know, there are lots of different kinds of tools that people can use. It looked like you wanted to get in there. No,
3: uh, first, I I think it's interesting. I feel like I've had to really become aware of the fact that it's even happening sometimes. Like, I feel like we can get so... You talk about, you know, with listening uh, or thinking about something and not hearing your daughters, I almost feel like that can happen in my own head. Like, it just continues to have this conversation, I, a friend of mine and I were talking about our inner voice. And she's like, if it's not, if it's not talking and it finds song lyrics and it just keeps going on that. And all of a that happens to me a lot. All of a sudden I'm like, wait, I've been ruminating on song lyrics now, the same song forever. And it's, it's almost like the awareness of it has to, to occur because sometimes we totally just ha- are completely unaware of that. It just continues to talk.
4: Well, and I think you just described like, that's like, part one of the battle against it is simply like being aware of what chatter is and how it works. Because I think if you're not even aware of it happening, Mm -hmm. you're not going to do anything to try to fix it. So I study self-control and I break it down for people. Self-control's got two pieces, motivation and ability. So you got to want to do something and then you got to have the tools to mm-hmm. actually do it so if you're if you don't know if you don't realize you're experiencing chatter you're not going to be motivated to reduce it you're just mm-hmm. going to get lost in it hopefully listeners right now and people who read the book like step one is they just recognize that yeah when i'm getting stuck in a thought loop and it's coloring everything i do that's chatter mm-hmm. and that's a cue to maybe try to minimize it so i can live a happier and healthier healthier life
3: And up next, we're going to learn exactly how to do that. But first, we are going to take a super quick break.
2: any disease you deserve a moment to yourself every single day and a delicious bite of a keebler sandys can give you that comforting pause (sighs) don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a keebler sandys for a post errands pick pick-me-up this magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by ernie and the keebler elves so as life continues to fly by make the most of your me moment Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandy's.
1: Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character Gray Parish from my new series Parish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah! I'm retired from a life, you know that. His business is failing, his house is going up for sale, he is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. We got a lot of action in this show, we have moments of real danger, and we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man, he's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+.
3: Welcome back, everyone. We are here with Dr. Cross talking about how to minimize negative mental chatter.
4: And it's not something we teach. You know, this is the amazing thing. We're doing research now where we've developed curricula on the mind and the emotions and how to manage it that we're teaching to high school kids. It's shocking to me. Like, you know, I, I spent so much time in high school learning about the digestive system. Man, mm-hmm. I never have <laughs> the need for knowledge about the digest. Like I've used it once in, in recent history, like to explain to my daughters how it's possible to be upside down and swallow food. Like that right. is it. But like the mind... This thing that, that we carry between our ears, like we use this all the time. to understand how it works. are in a good position. Yeah. And it can
3: have effect on the digestive system.
4: It, like, well, it, it absolutely has an effect on the digestive system. That's right. So very good.
3: Yeah. We really need to start up here the, to understand anything. And the fact that kids are even learning this in high school now, I think is incredible because, you know, it really can change the course of, of their life. Yeah.
4: Well, she, you know, when my oldest daughter, when you know, she's 11, which I'm learning is an interesting age, I'm an only, only child. So I didn't know about daughters and 11 yeah. is an interesting, <laughs> interesting time to be one. I'll just say that. And yeah. when she gets upset about something, like when I tell her, actually, you don't have to feel that way. You can, you can actually choose to feel differently. And, and here's, here's like a way of thinking differently that might make you feel better. Like, that's eye-opening for, I think, kids, mm-hmm. right? Because if you don't, if no one teaches you that, then you don't know any better. And so you're then just victim to how you automatically respond. And we know that we, like our thoughts aren't our destiny. We have right. the ability to control them in ways that can be really useful. So that's part of the reason why we're trying to um, work with kids and 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 why I wrote that book.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, I've struggled with anxiety and depression and depression for me has, has really kind of hit hard um, the beginning of this year. And, you know, when you get caught in that, you say you can choose your thoughts, but when you get caught in that rumination and it can be when I get depressed, it's like the lens in which I view the world changes and that therefore the thoughts change. And I can literally make up a completely different story about the exact same life that I've, (laughs) that I have, that I love. And all of a sudden, like that whole story changes. So when you're caught in that rumination, what's the, when you, like you said, you say you can choose your thoughts, but to someone in that rumination space, choosing your thoughts seems like The last thing that you're able to do. What where is the first place to go when you're in that space?
4: So first, I want to point out. I love the way you just described that um, experience because it invoked the voice, right? The stories that you're telling yourself when you're Mm -hmm. when you're depressed or sad are are shaping how you feel, right? Mm -hmm. And and so that goes back to like these how important these conversations that we have with ourselves are because they can really influence how we view the world. So what can people do? First of all, I break it down into there being like three categories of of tools that science has revealed that people can use for managing their inner voice. Things that people can do on their own to change the way they're thinking about the situation, small shifts that can have benefits, ways of interacting with other people that can be really useful, and then ways of interacting with our environments. Mm -hmm. And so there are like 20 something tools that fit into those different buckets. Let me tell you what I do when I find myself slipping into chatter. Because if I go through all 20 tools, yeah. I'll, I'll probably you might fall asleep and That's so good. might listeners. Um, so take COVID as an example. Not a fun, not a fun time to be in. So one thing I'll do is is we know that when people are experiencing chatter, they zoom in really narrowly on the problem. That's all there is. Mm -hmm. And so what we try to do is get people to zoom out, to broaden their perspective. One way you could do it is by doing something called temporal distancing or mental time travel. So I'll think about, all right, how am I going to feel nine months from now when everyone I know is vaccinated and I'm traveling again and going to restaurants? That seems pretty awesome, right? When I travel in time in the future like that, what that does is it makes it clear as, that as awful as what I'm experiencing is right now, and it really is awful, it's temporary. It mm-hmm. will eventually fade, and that gives me hope, and we know that hope is a really powerful antidote to chatter, right? It can really mm-hmm. help bring people out when you're when you're sad and anxious, you feel hopeless. so it's giving you the exact opposite I'll, I'll also go back in time. I'll think about the pandemic from nineteen eighteen and how that was even worse than this, right? People didn't have Uber Eats and Zoom and all of the (laughs) things that we can do right now that make this, I think, much more tolerable. And they got through it back then, right? They came Mm -hmm. roaring back in the 1920s and life was awesome. And so that that broadens my perspective. So that's one thing I'll do. Another thing I'll do is I'll try to give myself advice like I would give to another person. Mm -hmm. One of the things we've learned is it, there's a quirk of human nature. We are so much better at advising other people on their problems than we are taking that <laughs> advice ourselves. Oh, it's, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And what we have learned is that it's possible for us to coach ourselves through our problems like we're talking to someone else. And as wacky as it sounds, one way to do it is to use language, to use your name, to walk yourself through. Problems. All right, Ethan, how are you going to deal with this problem? That sounds a little, a little strange, but what we know is that when people do that silently, what that linguistic shift does is it gets you to think about yourself like you're another person. Like most of the time we use names, it's when we're talking to other people. Right. So here, you're giving distance between you and yourself. And that can be really helpful too for helping you think objectively and not get stuck in a rumination vortex. Have you ever, have you ever done that?
3: Yeah, well, so I've been um, I've been implementing some of these pieces of your book, especially during tennis. So I started playing tennis a couple of years ago and I really have been using the self-talk, the distant self-talk piece, you know, like coaching myself, you know, Leanne, you got this, like just, you know, I've been calming myself down um, while playing tennis because I have a tendency to just like, at, at a certain point, if I, even if I'm winning the match, like all of a sudden I'll start playing harder or trying harder. And it's like, I've been trying to like kind of talk myself back from that. And so today, <laughs> today I just played tennis that long ago. And well, there's a piece in your book about belief, which is really, which we can get into in a second. I'll just tell my story, but the, the belief being such a huge component in and the way that we can work with our chatter and really a belief being kind of this magical tool is what you call it. And so with belief, I, I had, was watching the Australian Open the other day and there were these two girls playing and I looked at my husband. And I'm like, I could play them. And he's like, no, you couldn't. And I'm like, yes, I could. I could play them. So I went on, on the court today and I looked at my coach and I told him the story. I'm like, I could play them. And he very kindly and facetiously was like, oh, yeah, sure you could and i literally f- took that belief and i truly believe that if i worked hard enough i could play them and with that belief and my the distance self talk today i have never played better tennis and he looked at me at the end and he went what the hell got into you like i walked away from that realizing like i mean belief is so powerful it is incredibly powerful and for me, I have been, you know, like I said, I've been sitting at home. Another way that I've kind of flipped this on myself is also sitting at home, not being on the road. And the first place that my mind goes, and this is another story you tell in your book about the pitcher that forgot how to pitch. First place my mind has gone, not being in practice of singing every other weekend or whatever it may be is, oh shit, well, I forget how to sing. That path can take me down to a really dark place where... I'll go to sing and all of a sudden have all this apprehension around something that I've never thought about. Like, I don't think about singing. It just comes out. And so that's been so interesting to have the time to sit and be like, wait, when do I know what I'm doing still? And when I read that part in your book about the pitcher forgetting to pitch, it actually gave me some context of what was going on in my own mind. And it allowed me to go, oh, I can shift that. I can change the way that I'm thinking about this. And to be able to see the way that my belief changed my tennis, it was like having the yin and the yang of experiences of belief shaping the way that I talk to myself and, and the outcome of things.
4: Yeah. Well, that that's that's a great example. Too bad I'm not still writing the book. I would have used that as, <laughs> as one, of the, one of the anecdotes.
3: It's but great. Belief is
4: you know, just remarkably powerful. And I think you know, there, There's so much science um, behind showing like when the placebo works. So if mm-hmm. you give people a sugar pill and you say, take this pill, it's going to make you feel better. It's going to help re- relieve your anxiety and depression. And sure enough, if you actually believe the physician who gives you that medication, research shows that for mild and moderate forms of depression and anxiety, it actually has that effect, which to me speaks to the power of belief Mm -hmm. to impact how we feel, right? And so, you know, how does that work? Why can't we just often believe ourselves into something? Right. Well, there's always like some nagging self-doubt, right? Mm -hmm. And and inner criticalness that I think gets in the way. But when you've got a trusted physician or coach who says, Leanne, this is going to make you feel better. I am 100% certain of it, right? They're basically taking away those doubts and just letting your belief carry the day. And so I think a lot of really great coaches do this for their players, right? They're masters at channeling this belief. Um, mm-hmm. But what we've learned is that there are ways we can we can do that for ourselves. And I think that provides us with a useful tool.
3: Yeah. So do you have to be a hundred percent in on a belief for it to work? Because I find there is the inner believer and there's also like the one that doesn't. Like there is the one who's a skeptic and me too. And so for the magic to work, do you have to be all in?
4: You have to be all in for the belief one to to usually work. That's, that's <laughs> typically how that one goes. So you may have some trouble with that. But, do, yes. but here's the good news. The good news is that the belief, that's like one of 20 different tools that exist. So here's another right. tool, tennis related. Mm-hmm. that you don't have to believe in it for it to work and um, as rituals. So mm. so like athletes um, and performing artists as well, actually, you do you have any rituals before you perform that you engage in?
3: You know what? I actually, I probably do, but they're not like elaborate or concrete in any way, but I'm sure there's some kind of, well, I would have to say probably one of the things that I've, when I'm on the road that I do before my guitar player will come in and we'll just kind of like play over music. Just it doesn't have to be songs we're gonna perform, but just to like get us in that headspace, I think that's probably the Uh, the one ritual you just
4: did it. You said it, Leanne.
3: Oh, I did (laughs) we
4: didn't we didn't rehearse that. No. That was just organic. Yes. It got you in the headspace, right? And so here's what's super fascinating about rituals. Rituals, by the way, you know, I think we often think of rituals as synonymous with like obsessive compulsive disorder and and certain Mm. forms of anxiety. That is an extreme usage of rituals. But we have been using rituals to help with our chatter for a really long time. Like cultures around the world give us rituals Mm -hmm. for handling the ultimate chatter provoking events like death, right? No matter what your religion is, you probably have a grieving ritual that mm. you engage in. When babies are born, there are birthing ritual. This is a tumultuous time. Our cultures give us rituals to engage in. And what we see is that like a lot of athletes and, and people who perform under stress, they organically create their own rituals. So Rafael Nadal, to bring it back yeah. to tennis, <laughs> uh, he's got a great story that I just I just love. Um, he was interviewed and someone asked him like, what's the hardest thing you, you do on the tennis court? and And, you know, this guy is playing against the best athletes in the world, like athletes who are trained from the moment they're born to beat him, basically mm-hmm. and competing against those athletes. That's not the hardest thing he does. He says the hardest thing he does is battle the voices inside his head, the nagging inner voice, the chatter that can get in the way of him performing well. And how does he do it? He engages in a ritual, a very uh, rigid, structured sequence of behavior. So, he always walks onto the court the same way. And then he, you know, takes his jacket off in a very particular way. And he lines his water bottles up diagonally against the court. And before every serve, he runs his fingers through his hair and he picks his shorts out of his butt. I mean, weird, wacky stuff, (laughs) right. But he does it every time. And what it does for him is it provides him with a sense of order and control. Mm -hmm. And when we're experiencing chatter, we often feel like we don't have control of what's happening, right? Like our mind is taking over like ah, like I can't control what I'm what I'm thinking and feeling. And what we've learned is you can compensate for that feeling of a lack of control by creating order around you. Mm-hmm. And rituals are one way that people do that, and the science shows that you don't actually have to even believe that they're going to help you. If you engage in the rigid sequence of behaviors, They still have benefit. And so so if beliefs aren't working for you, you know, you could do a ritual.
3: Interesting. So you don't actually have to believe that they're working. Oh, that's fascinating.
4: Yeah. Um, Now, if you do believe. Right. It's
3: only more benefit.
4: I would predict. (laughs) But but there's research which shows you don't have to believe and you still benefit. You could still benefit from them
3: that's interesting um the environment piece is is always is fascinating and it's for me I know that while I've been sitting at home a lot of lists have been happening I know you talk about a lot of a lot about the like people can tidy up their environment which helps a lot especially as we're all sitting at home <laughs> like you know um it, for me it's been about lists and and being able to execute the things on my list like that's a way I know that from my own mind that I feel like I have a bit of control over a time when I have, I feel like I have also, I feel like I have zero control. <laughs> totally. You're,
4: you're, you're, you're creating order.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
4: and we know that when, when anxiety is heightened, people naturally try to reestablish order in ways like that by, by creating lists in order. I tell a story in the book about how, when, when I was a little chatter prone when writing the book, like when mm-hmm. a, a paragraph wouldn't come out right, or I had a deadline approaching, I would do something really strange for me, strange because I'm not a particularly like orderly. I'm pretty free, you know. Like books are all right. over the place, and <laughs> to my wife's dismay, like a shirt might be in one corner, you know, in another. But when I was struggling, like my office never looked so good, and I'd go to the kitchen and like carefully clean all the pots and put them away really nicely, and that was my way of, I think, doing what you're doing with lists, right? I'm mm-hmm. trying to compensate for this feeling of despair that I'm experiencing by leaning on my environment. And I think that's fascinating that there are like tools that exist in the world around us for managing the chatter inside our head. Like, again, we don't learn that growing up, you know, we kind of just stumble on these things through the course of living. But, but I think science can help guide us now and say, okay, here's what we've learned about how to harness your environment to your Mm -hmm. betterment.
3: Well, that's what I love about your book is that there's scientific proof. I mean, some of these ticks and things that we're not aware that we're actually sometimes already doing these things. And, you know, that's where the science is so fascinating to me because for me reading it, it's made me aware of the things that I already do and given me context around why, why it works. And I think like, you were saying that in the placebo, it's like, here, take this placebo. It will help you feel better. It's in knowing how the placebo works and why it's going to help you feel better. It's like knowing the why has really been beneficial for me, at least on, you know, continuing to to do these things that I kind of naturally already do and and doing them even with more purpose.
4: Yeah. I and think- I, think, I think that's exactly it. it. Knowing what the tools are and how they work allows us to be a lot more deliberate about how we use them in our lives. So so if I experience a moment of chatter, I, I have a go-to like chatter cocktail that I, I take as <laughs> not alcohol-based, right? right? To deal with it. Definitely yeah. don't do chat, alcohol, not for combating chatter.
3: <laughs> That's not in your book.
4: <laughs> That's not in the book, not a good thing. But you know, I'll, I'll do the mental time travel. I'll, I'll do the distant self-talk. I'll do something we haven't actually talked about yet. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to people about my mm-hmm. chatter but like I'll be really careful about who I choose to talk to because other people can be incredibly helpful when it comes mm-hmm. to our chatter but they can also get us into a lot of trouble and that's not a message you hear often conveyed you know we often hear oh if you're feeling bad just get it out vent your emotions find someone to unload and we know that that that's not actually helpful for helping people deal with chatter so
3: what is beneficial then for for each other <laughs> find someone who's there to
4: like really listen to you and show mm-hmm. empathy someone who you can have a conversation with but at a certain point they hear you but they don't just keep asking you to rehash what you felt oh my god he said that and how did you feel what are you going to do like not just getting you to keep venting because mm-hmm. what if you're just venting that makes you and i feel really close and connected like our friendship grows, but it doesn't do anything to help you solve the problem. So what you ideally want to find is a person who can let you vent a little, but then nudge you to think about the bigger picture, try to help you reframe the experience. So so you know if you're really down about let's say your your last performance didn't go so well, you know, maybe I'm like, well, Olian, yeah, you've you've done hundreds of thousands of these performances before, right? Like mm-hmm. you've had bad ones before, you've gotten over it and you've gone on to great things. So Think about that. Or, or let me tell you about the last time I flubbed a, a, a presentation. And you know, like here's what I did. And so these are ways of just trying to like break you out of that doom and despair that characterizes chatter. And other mm-hmm. people can be helpful, but um, but if they don't do that, they can make the chatter worse. So I'm right. super, super careful about who I go to for help. And sometimes yeah. it's not the people who I'm closest with, it's other people.
3: Mm hmm. Well, my husband's so great at that, of giving that type of advice. And sometimes I just want to slap him because I'm like, that's not what I wanted to hear at this moment in time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. At this moment in time, we are going to pause for a quick break, but don't worry. We'll be right back.
2: any disease you deserve a moment to yourself every single day and a delicious bite of a keebler sandys can give you that comforting pause (sighs) don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a keebler sandys for a post errands pick pick-me-up this magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by ernie and the keebler elves so as life continues to fly by make the most of your me moment Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.
1: Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito and I'm here to introduce you to my character Grey Parish from my new series Parish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah. retired from life you know that his business is failing his house is going up for sale he is the every man tell me about this driver job we got a lot of action in this show we have moments of real danger and we want to feel as if anything could happen gray is invited to drive for this man he's invited to make money and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do i did what you told me to and he's in a world over his head now let's go he will try to do what's right And seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+.
3: Welcome back, loves. We were talking about the best people to bounce your inner chatter off of.
4: But that's a very important um, caveat. And I, and Mm I talk a little bit about this. There's an art to being a good chatter advisor. And so, uh, and you know, as a scientist, I'm not used to talking about art in, in what I right. do, right? But but there's an art here in, this, in the following sense. Different people need different amounts of time to just unload their emotions. Like, so maybe mm-hmm. I take two minutes of describing it to my wife before I'm ready for her to help me. But maybe for someone else, it's 20 minutes, right? Or mm-hmm. 15 minutes. And I think the art of being good chatter advisor is being able to read the person you're interacting with so that you can know when they've really felt heard, like, and are ready to go broader. And, and it's going to be different for every, every individual.
3: That's interesting. Yeah, that is very important. Did these voices change, I mean, throughout our lives and like what influences that, you know, like where, when, at what times can they, can they change and shift?
4: Yeah. So I, I they can shift. And um, I, I like to think about it as the voices in our head are are tuned by our surroundings. And so mm-hmm. early on in life, our parents and caretakers are playing, you know, they're in our heads quite a bit. Right. As we grow older, the other, other people in our lives and our relationships like our colleagues, our our partners, our loved ones, like their voices are shaping our own voices. So Mm -hmm. we are very sensitive to our surroundings. And, And that makes sense, right? Because we want to be tuned to the world around us so that we can navigate it optimally. So the kinds of things that are causing you concern or giving you joy at different moments in time are likely going to be shifting depending on where you are in your life, right? And so, you know, the things that give me joy right now, professionally, like, I don't know, 25 years ago, I would have made fun of. Like, in (laughs) in fact, I remember like in college saying to myself, if I ever end up doing that for a living, like, you know, someone shake me and here I am doing it. So so (laughs) how we think about our lives and use language to do so is very sensitive to who we surround ourselves with.
3: Yeah, I mean, what are some of the unconscious ways that our environment is shaping the way that we think?
4: Well, so, so this goes to a, a tool that I think could be really useful, which is, which is nature. Mm. So nature, uh, there's actually just an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was, that basically said, is two hours of time in nature the new 10,000 steps? And, <laughs> and, um, and I talk a lot about nature in the book. Yeah. What we've learned is like nature Our physical surroundings provide us with a tool for rejuvenating ourselves after we're depleted from chatter. So when we're experiencing chatter, like that's taking up all of our attention, right? And that's in part why it it impairs us when it comes to work, because we can't think about anything else. And so what we've learned is that exposure to green spaces. So if you go for a walk, I can see your window right now looks much nicer than mine (laughs) because I'm facing... Like a foot of snow,
3: um, uh, but
4: yours looks a, a lot more pleasant.
3: Yeah, it is sunny outside. <laughs>
4: yes, uh, not here and warm. <laughs> what nature does for us is it captures our attention in a very soft way. So it's like our, our attention just drifts to the leaves and the trees and and the bushes and the squirrels and and that it it it, it occupies our attention, but we're not working really hard to make sense of our surroundings, and that allows our attention our ability to focus to restore and that can be really really helpful so that's one way that our environment can outside of our awareness really help us.
3: Well, and I found it, sorry not to interrupt you, I found it interesting that you said not only being in nature, but actually photos and sounds. And so a lot of people, you know, have been stuck at home and they they don't have access to nature. I mean, I'm fortunate I have a backyard, you know, I can go out in it. Like so many people can be stuck in small places. And that's what I found so fascinating about the research of nature. It's just even looking at photos or hearing sounds of nature can be just as impactful.
4: Yeah, absolutely right. You know, I, I will say that I think the more immersive it is, the better. Mm-hmm. So the more time you spent and the more all-consuming it is, the more right. likely it is to have the biggest effect, mm-hmm. but you can absolutely benefit from it by looking at pictures or videos. In fact, when I became um, involved in some of this research, the first thing I did is in my office at work. I took down like the picture of whatever that was there. And I put like a photo <laughs> of a tree that my sister in right. had taken for me because like, you know, practice what I preach. And I got like an orchid in the corner now because mm-hmm. I know I know what the science says. Right. So that's one way the environment. Felt. But the other really cool thing. And I'm gonna, I mean, I suspect people actually get this from like going to your concerts. And I'd be curious about whether you experience this, too, on the other side. Um, we've learned that experiencing awe, the emotion of awe, mm. can also help us manage chatter. And so, really quick, the way that works is awe is an emotion we experience when we're in the presence of something vast that we have trouble explaining. And so, a lot of people get it from nature. So, I, when I think about like the number of planets in the universe, I can't, it's hard for me to contemplate that. It's mm-hmm. awe inspiring. But other people get it from like attending an amazing concert where everyone's singing together and there's a sense of transcendence, like mm-hmm. you're all in it and the sounds are amazing. And this is it's hard to understand how that actually works. And what we know is that when people experience that emotion, it makes us as individuals and our concerns feel a whole lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Our self shrinks. And when it comes to chatter, like shrinking your chatter is, that's not a bad thing, right? Like right. <laughs> our concerns feel a lot smaller in their presence of something bad. So to me, that's a, a really just neat, beautiful finding. And so do you ever experience that when, you're, when yeah. you're singing?
3: I think that's what I was saying earlier about getting past the chatter is that the, the awe of knowing, I always say that I'm being sung instead of being the one singing. And when I experience that kind of effortless, free-flowing energy and knowing I'm connected to something else, um, that is awe-inspiring on stage. And, you know, you sang so many people singing, you know, the same song, like to watch the energy of a massive crowd like coming right back at you. Yeah, that's absolutely awe-inspiring. I think about it, you know, I live for those moments. I think when we experience them, we all really do. Like it takes you out of your own inner chaos for a moment and and places you somewhere that's, um, for what I feel is kind of probably our truest, the truest place for us is out beyond us. Well, here's
4: what's really cool about the awe r- research, I think, which is not everyone gets to sing in front of how many tens of thousands of of people to experience that. And a lot of us don't get to go to that many concerts, right? Like, Mm. you know, once every couple of years, maybe. Right. Um, But what we've learned is like, you can find, I think, your own awe triggers. Like you don't Mm. have to wait for those experiences. So you can like seek out like okay, are there, are there things in the park that give you a sense of awe? So when I go like to the arboretum by my house and like, think about the fact that a tree has been here for 300 years, like that's awe inspiring. Or if Mm -hmm. I look at an amazing piece of art, like that fills me with awe. So there are ways of, again, now that we know how these things work, you can try to be really deliberate to build these chatter fighting tools and experiences into your life. And that's the challenge I think that we all face, which is, once we are aware of the different tools that exist, how do we bring them in and fold them in profitably to help us live better lives?
3: Mm-hmm. I want to ask a, a bit of a selfish question right now, because I've been, I don't think it's probably selfish. I think a lot of people are experiencing this. In the morning, when I, like, when I wake up, like I said, that's my first thing that I'm aware of the chatter that instantly starts. Is there anything to set us on the right path in the morning when it comes to our own chatter?
4: Well, I think, I think what you could try to do is like, try to create like a chatter habit, you know? So if Mm. you know that as soon as you wake up, boom, like there's that voice (laughs) (laughs) and I don't want to hear it. Um, You know, think about like, what are the tools that really work for you? So Mm -hmm. maybe it's a ritual that you engage in right away that Mm -hmm. like that morning to start your day and, you know, followed by, a walk in wherever to you know try to give you a double hit like so find right. the tools that work and then make habits make specific plans to activate those tools right away before mm-hmm. you let the chatter take hold a lot of, most of the tools that i talk about in the book are are pretty simple to implement like these aren't tall orders um, they're not meant to replace like clinical interventions if right. mm-hmm. the chatter gets too extreme like i'm a huge proponent of science-based interventions and therapy and mm-hmm. things like that. For most of us, we experience like chatter is a part of life. And so just trying to think about how you could bring those tools in and, and make those plans can hopefully help prevent it from getting more intense. Yeah. That um, might require you to get more more intensive intervention.
3: Yeah you know we're living in a really interesting chatter provoking time and i think that your book is is really fascinating and and so helpful like i said i've i've been implementing the things that that you write about and i am living proof that it actually does work and I, which makes me excited because there's a lot of you know there's a lot of books and a lot of information out there and you know like so much that people can that people claim to to be helpful and i just found that the tools that, like you said, that you, that are, they're fairly simple and easy to implement and the tools that you have provided have definitely already been impactful on my life within just the first like few days of, of really implementing them.
4: That makes the four years of of drudgery (laughs) that went into that book all all worth it. I mean, it really, um, I mean, you know, the reason I wrote that book was to take what we know and translate it for others. Like, You know, not so just scientists talking about this stuff, Mm -hmm. so that people can benefit from it. So the fact that it's having that effect really warms my heart and uh, is is the best
3: news I've gotten in a while. So very good, thank you. Well, I always like to end my episodes with music because obviously music is such a big part of my life, and I find it fascinating to hear what music people love and what's on their playlist and what's inspiring them. So I call this the Holy Five. So do you, are you, a are you a music fan? And do you, do you have five songs that are, that move you that you'd like to share?
4: I, I do, but I think you might have to change it from calling it the holy five. I don't know that you'll, these will be holy songs. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like
3: ho- holy as in like, you know, your whole five. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I see. Okay, good. Yes, Not yes. with an H. Not with an H, the W. <laughs> yes. Okay.
4: So, so no judgment. Um, I, I love music, all. but I've been, been made fun of throughout my life for my taste so uh here goes uh, all right <laughs> um, don't stop believing
3: journey oh that's that's a solid one <laughs> just a city
4: boy.
2: And um it,
4: it's gonna get worse just keep, keep, keep prepared <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs>
2: uh
4: with or without you you too that's still solid Uh, Jesse's girl, Rick Springfield.
3: Jesse's girl, yeah, that, that's a good one.
4: Um, Blinding lights, The Weeknd, a more contemporary one.
3: Oh yeah, very cool. And uh,
4: Bon Jovi, "Living on a Prayer."
3: Oh, Steve, you—that's those are all great.
4: Yeah. I got made made fun of big time in, in college for those choices. So No,
3: well, now you're cool. Well, <laughs> thank you. Cool I choices. have the stamp of approval. So I yes, that. absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I really think people will benefit from, from everything we discussed and, and especially your book. So thank you so much.
4: Thanks for having me. It was a ton of fun. Yay.
3: All right, everyone, that wraps up this episode and kicks off our second season of Holy Human. I am so thrilled that we are on our second season. Thank you so much for all of you for coming along on this journey with me. I truly, truly appreciate you joining me on this ride. And I also love hearing from you. So please leave me your feedback wherever you're listening. And don't hesitate to share this podcast with anyone in your life that you feel could benefit from hearing it. I send you my love next time. On the next episode of Holy Human, we're going to tackle something that is truly transformative, heart-centered guidance with the beautiful Danielle Laporte. Until then, loves, have a beautiful day, a beautiful week, and I love you. Holy Human with me, Leanne Rimes, is a production of iHeartRadio. You'll find Holy Human with Leanne Rimes on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get the podcasts that matter most to you.
0: any disease.